Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and today we talk with Hattie Boydell. Oh my God, this lady is not only incredibly beautiful, but she's also freakishly conscious. She is a professional fitness model. She is a pro WBFF title holder and owner of the popular online fitness coaching program, The Sports Model Project. Listen up as we dive deep into her journey through depression, eating disorders, and ultimate success, and you can learn a thing or two from this incredible human being. Listen up. The lady herself, who should have Unstoppable in her middle name, Hattie Boydell. Welcome to Unstoppable. Do you know what? I don't have a middle name and I'm going to take that now. Are you serious? You don't have a middle <laughs> I don't name? I have a middle name, Your mum's out here, so we're going to have to ask her what that's all about. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, just Hattie Boydell, yes. what, what else do you need? Now, for those people who perhaps don't know, um, you, are, you have... Oh my God, like I was reading your resume and it's like, wow, you have been, you're a competitor. You have been a competitor for quite a long time um, in the in the fitness space. But for those who don't know your your backstory, give us a little bit of a backstory on, yeah, on, on, on the highlights reels of, of Hattie's career. Wow. Where how far start? How far back do you want me to go? Where do you go? want to start? Well, let's, start, let's look at your competition credentials because that's what I think is going to probably capture the attention. And then we're going to go back into your your life story and find out how we actually got you to where you are today. Or okay. not we, how you got you. I'd like to take some credit, but I can't just <laughs> we. now. We. We're a team. We're we a did team. this, right? It was you and I me. actually, you were in my subconscious from the moment I started. I was like, Carolyn's there. Oh, <laughs> you can do this. I know you can. So <laughs> Unstoppable. You've been, com- you've been competing since 2011 or earlier? 2011 was the first time I competed. Right. Yeah. And so you competed in the uh, the universe, uh, INBA Universe Sports Model Competition. That was actually my second show. So okay. the first – so how I got into fitness modeling was a friend of mine at the gym did one of the shows and she was like, oh, you should totally give this a go. You'll be really good. And she showed me a couple of the girls that were competing at the time and I was like, oh, I can do that. Eight weeks later, I got on stage, had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I remember doing a back pose and they were like, please, no bodybuilding um, poses. And I was like, oh, God, I don't don't even know. Um, And I placed second. Wow. Um, And that qualified me for the INBA Universe, which was the international show. And they normally do it overseas, but it was the first year that they decided to do it in Queensland. And I thought, oh, great. Um, And that was two weeks later. And I was able to have two weeks more, um, I guess, more training. And I had a better idea of what to expect. Right. I could improve my posing because my posing was shocking in my first competition. I had no idea what I was doing, clearly. Still got a second. Um, still got a second. And uh, I, I walked home, you know, winning the uh, the IMBA bikini short division or sports model division and then second overall um, to a girl who I'm actually still really good friends with, um, makes all, a lot of my bikinis. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and then it kind of started from there. I... I actually had a year off after that because that was like the last show for the year. I started right. quite late in the season. Um, I went away for a year, went traveling, came back, and I just thought, oh, I've got to do that again. Um, so I got st- stuck into it, and that was 2013. And so you competed three times in 2013. In the uh, second place in the Phylax INBA fitness model, first place in the A&B Sydney fitness model, uh, and then Muscle Mania model overall competition. Yeah. And then Miss Bikini Universe champion in Las Vegas. Yes. You were very busy in 2013. Yeah, I was very busy. 2014, you placed fourth in the uh, WBFF world titles. And then in 2016, you were crowned the WBFF Miss North America champion. Yes, yes. And then uh, later on that year, the first... Uh, Australian to win the WFF World Champions and wow. to overthrow the four world 
four-time world champion. So that was a you overthrew her. I overthrew her. Did, which which she shoulder was my did you? Idol. Is uh, that the right? right one? Definitely the right one. So you beat your idol. <laughs> I did. How was that? That was um. It was it was oh it was a shock. I mean, I wanted that was what I was working towards, and I had manifested it, and I'd put it on this massive calendar, and I'd written world champion and. And uh, for it to come true was like, I kind of wasn't ready for it. Um, and I guess, I mean, Andrea, to me, still one of my favorite um, fitness physiques. And, and uh, I don't idolize her. I don't really idolize anyone, to be honest. Um, but I just, I admire her. And yeah. uh, to be on stage with her is just unbelievable. I remember the first time I competed against her and I completely stopped what I was doing. And I was just mesmerized by this woman. I thought, oh my God. God, she's amazing. Um, so then to beat her two years later was just like, wow, this is crazy. And your progression through the sport has been quite quick. Like you didn't, you haven't been at this for 10 years, unless there's a bit more of a backstory here, which we're going to dig into. But you're comp- you only started competing in 2011. And by 2016, you're, you're pretty much up there with the big dogs. Am I allowed to say that? The big girls. Yeah. Not even, can't even say that. Big girls. Big girls. <laughs> You're um, up there with the best. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, to me, I feel like it was a longer journey than most people because when I first started competing, there wasn't many people competing. Right. And now it's, there's 50, it's 60, 70. Up. I remember one world titles wow. I did, there was 75 girls in my category and we were on stage for so long. I remember the cramps and my back was so sore. And I mean, it's just changed so much. Um and then I've got friends of mine who like won their first show, got their pro card, and then won the world titles. And oh just wow, like, it, within was like on the top in top, like at the top within two two years or three competitions. And I've yeah, right. kind of done you know twelve competitions. And and then someone like me says, oh, you've really kind of accelerated quite quickly. Are you fucking yeah. serious? Yeah, I mean, I'm like, oh, really? I feel like I've worked pretty hard for a long time to get here. But um, yeah, you say that. Yeah, I mean. It's just so different now. It's really different now. I think where your story gets really interesting, it's in your backstory because um, you just didn't fall into becoming a fitness competitor. You've got a real story around, you know, body health and, you know, even your own, you know, uh, body image issues. Mm -hmm. So where did it all begin? If I can like really reflect back on my life, um, growing up in primary school, um, I started gymnastics when I was four um, okay. and I became an elite gymnast, um, would go compete um, and train at the AIS for months at a time. Um, I was doing 28 to 32 hours a week of gymnastics Wow! at a really young age and I really excelled at that. I had a beautiful community of women that I trained with and competed against. Like they're all my friends and, um, you know, I guess – I've been very competitive from a, from a young age. Was it gymnastics? Was that where you discovered the, your competitive nature? Yeah. It, and I mean, the great thing about gymnastics is that it teaches, it taught me how to move. It taught me, I could do any sport under the sun. I've done so many different sports purely with no training. I could just do things because I was wow. so fit and athletic and my body just could move and I had, it was a powerhouse and it's I loved performing. It's such an integrated sport and that's because I do calisthenics now. I don't do any gym work whatsoever well, unless you call gym calisthenics. But the thing that I love about it because it's obviously very gymnastic space mm. is it's so integrative. It's so efficient because you're not just isolating your muscles. You, you're using so many different groups in combination which does give you mobility. It does give you strength but it's also incredibly efficient at the same time. Well, that's it. It's um, it, it. You're moving, you know. 
um, I guess, like I love bodybuilding. I love all uh, types of training, but it's a really inefficient way to train your body. Like mm. you don't, you, you limit your range of motion, you get stiff, you get, you know, overdeveloped in one area. It's very hard to be symmetrical. Whereas the calisthenics side, you know, it is about real movement um, to be able to hit certain um, ranges in your flexibility of your hamstrings or rotation or shoulder mobility to do a handstand. Even just to do a handstand, you need to have That's a full fu- shoulder that mobility. That is a fucking work. Like we do that as a part of our skills training. And like I'm doing like, you know, three handstands for one minute and I'm coming out of that and I've got a full body pump. Like my back is flogged, <laughs> my shoulders flogged, my tries are flogged, my clo- Your head's ev- red. Oh, ev- God. My, everything. I blow. Sweating. And then we're not even talking about handstand push-ups. Then I blow oh. blood vessels everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, gymnastics was such a great foundation for me no and kidding. I feel like it carried over to many, I mean, I mean, it's really carried over to the training that I can do now. It taught me, I mean, I can fake a lot of movements, which is bad. Um, but yeah, it taught me how to be competitive. What do you mean fake movements? How do you fake a movement? Like I can put like, I can fake extension, you know, using my back instead of my shoulders or different right. parts of my back and yeah um even i'm just very body aware yep yeah um which you can is activate great. different muscle groups yeah. a lot easier because you're more tuned into your body and you know your body a lot better perhaps yeah so i do i do really miss gymnastics i feel like the the feeling of being flexible um there's a there's a sense of freedom in it right now how i'm quite beat up from training and i don't feel freedom at all i feel <laughs> jacked and thick and waddling and i'm like oh man my back like and that's what comes with certain types of training yeah right um and i guess yeah even now i'm trying to i'm actually um, going to start working with a friend of mine to do some you know like the locomotion kind of stuff to right. get movement and mobility back into my my physique um, to do get ready think, for the worlds again. I was, well, I was actually going to say, do you think those two marry together? Because a lot of people look at bodybuilding as something quite separate to gymnastics works or calisthenics. And it wasn't until last year, like I, I got quite jacked up towards the end of last year with strong nutrition, strong training. And I was actually like, wow, I'm actually putting on mass here whilst doing gymnastics. And, you know, I had guys coming up to me when I was in Santa Monica going, oh, are you powerlifting? I'm like, dude, I don't touch a bar. Mm. The only bar I touch is, is, is the ones that hang above my head. Yeah. But do you think there's a place for calisthenics in, you know, competitive fitness, competitive bodybuilding? I do. And, and look, it's everyone's different. It's mm. to the individual. I... Um, I just can get – I mean, it's funny because some of my training is more powerlifting. I go through phases. My my training goes through phases. And right now while I'm feeling pretty jacked up from all the heavy lifting, I need to do the movement. I need to put some movement back in there, some locomotion stuff. Otherwise, yep. eventually I'm going to break down somewhere. Yep. And uh, I don't want to break down. I want to be able to move freely and efficiently and build the correct muscles that and I need to build. Longevity. And have lo- yeah. most importantly, I want to be able to train. I want to be that 70-year-old grandma still kicking it in the gym, lifting <laughs> weights like, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go back. You you were an elite gymnast, a gymnast from about four. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive in itself. And, and then you had a bit of a – life took a bit of a different turn, did it, around here? What happened? So – Okay, so here's here's the story. So in in primary school, I would go to school and I'd get bullied by girls. I had no friends. And uh, and then I'd go to gym and I was in this amazing community with friends, with lots of friends, you know. And I, I'd go to school and I couldn't quite work out like what what the difference was. I was like, how am I different 
from here? Like what's why mm-hmm. can't, why am I not fitting in here but I can fit in here? Um, and I think, you know, that happened for a lot of my primary, hood, uh, primary school and like the teachers knew, my, my mom and dad knew, like the, even the parents of the kids that were bullying me knew and they didn't do anything about it. And even my mom said to me, you know, do you want me to move move schools? And I thought, well, no, because it might just happen, might just happen there. So I'll just, I'm just going to sit here and deal with it, you know. And um, and I feel like, you know, later on in life, that kind of there was parts of that experience which um, unfolded. Um, you know, later on in my teens, I. Uh, I mean, when I went to high school, I had lots of friends everywhere. It was completely different. And I was like, wow, this is not what I expected. Um, it was beautiful. I, I loved high school. Um, then when I was about, I think I was in year 10, um, a, a friend of mine um, died in a freak accident. And it made me th- just, I was just so shocked. I'd never experienced knowing someone who, who has died. died before. And I thought to myself, oh my God, life can be taken away from me so quickly. I'm going to mm. just, I'm going to do everything I said I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get good grades. I'm going to go to a good university. I'm going to have a good job. I'm going to start, um, you know, looking after myself. I'm going to improve my nutrition. I'm going to start training again. And and I kind of just went so far down this hole um, with control because I felt like this thing that's out of my control could happen to me. And in Did the you feel like that was some level of mild trauma? Like, because was it quite a close friend? She wasn't super close. She was a girlfriend that I would, you know, hang out with on the weekends at parties, and she didn't go to my school. She was a bit older than me, um, but it's still, you know, every there were so many people that were affected by it. Like, mm. she was such a nice girl, and um, you know, I, I saw her on the weekend before it, and she said that she didn't want to go to, she didn't want to go on that camp, and I, uh, I remember that so much so clearly that I and then that happened I thought oh my god how did she it's die just, um a tree fell on her tent oh no um you know and and I think just the very much the the thought of how quickly and how life changes life can be taken out of our hands to make the most of it was a was the like a really big take home message that I but instead was of like wanting the, to live free, you wanted to live in a state of control. It was like, well, okay, so what do I have to change? What do I have yeah. to do to live my best life? Because I was, you know, in, in school and I was naughty and I didn't really care about grades and I was, you know, I guess a bit wild and I thought, okay, so I need to change this because doing, you know, being like that wasn't going to get me the life that maybe I sh- should or what I really want. So, you know, and in the beginning, like, my, my, I remember my teachers were like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? You're sitting at the front, not with your friends, like you're doing the work. And I remember having a, an assignment in English, um, a speech, and I, I'm petrified of public speaking. And I worked really hard with my teacher, my English teacher at the time. I was, you know, um, staying after school and doing work. And because I really wanted to get good grades. It was like, I have to do really well here. And I remember the teacher that I had for that speech wasn't my actual English teacher, it was another lady. And in the past, I had been a bit of a nightmare to her. Um, she wasn't really that fond of me. And and uh, she failed me on the subject. And I thought, I just worked so hard for this and I still failed. I'm just a failure. And that was kind of a big spiral out of control. Because at that time, I started 
exercising and I started eating what I thought was healthy, which I had no idea about, um, reading magazines about dieting and what to eat, which is oh, now that I'm educated is such a load of crap. And is, you know, I remember reading in Cosmo one time about this girl, how she would be bulimic and just throw up half her food. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll just start with that. And that was something I started to do. And, um, and it was just like. So what age was this when you started experimenting 16? with bulimia? Yeah, right. Um, you know, it was just, I just started to try and control everything and I would... What was the thought process that was going through your head? Like when you were considering this, which is in some respects, some people would consider to be an irrational behavior, but it's really, and again, this is one of the things that people don't understand when it comes to compulsive behavior. Sometimes to the individual, it's not irrational at all. It makes a shit ton of sense and that's why we do some of the things that we do. In your mind at that time, do you remember what was going through your head that made it, made you think, okay, maybe it's okay for me to do that? The thing is like... At first, I first, it, it was first depression. So after I failed the subject, I just thought, oh my God, I'm just a failure. And then I just started doing more and more exercise. I wasn't allowed to, I started making rules for myself. I wasn't allowed to reward myself till I'd done this amount of training and I had to do, I wasn't allowed to do less than what I'd done before. So if the bus was late to get to the gym, I would be freaking out. Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to get everything in. And so that started happening and then you know, the food thing. And then I just started isolating myself from people because I didn't want them to know what I was doing. And I would just, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be interrupted. Um, I just started walking everywhere. I stopped talking to people. Um, and I just like, just wanted to be on my own. Cause I was just really, I was just, just thought, like, I thought no one wanted to be around me. Were you in just pain? Got- was there a, a level of psychological pain that like, you felt like you're in pain? Like you said, you're experiencing levels of depression. Do you remember some of the thought processes, some of the the way you treated yourself that perhaps made you, you know, do this to yourself? I remember, I guess I, I, I feel like I took on the bullying from my primary school into my own and that's just kind of how I lived. And then you self-bullied. And then I self-bullied. Yeah, right. Um, and it just, you know, I, I was just so sad and I just didn't want to talk to anyone and I just would walk everywhere and and um even in school I like when the reset like when recess would be on I wouldn't sit with my friends I'd just go to the library or um go to the gym or you know I just didn't want anyone to yeah interrupt me doing my own thing and um I knew that it got to a point where I'd be getting up, I'd wait for my mum to get up in the morning for her to go on a walk and then I would go and I would just run and run and run till I was purple and my mum and I would fight because she was like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, just leave me alone. And she was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just upset. And I kind of knew that I was falling down a, a rabbit hole but I couldn't help it. Like I, I would hear voices and I'd have my, I'd have like myself going, oh my God, what am I doing? But then these voices were so strong that I couldn't help, I couldn't stop it. Um, and that voice was the voice in the head. Yeah. So I would, I would never associate the, the eating disorder, the depression with myself. It was always a different thing, but it was just controlling me. Mm. Um, and it just spiraled. spiraled out of control. I remember, you know, even... Because you got down to 26 kilos. Yeah. And how tall are you? Six, 
Oh, six foot. <laughs> no, I'm five foot one. I was like six foot. Five foot one. Five That's foot one. the perfect height, by the way. And say so five foot one, 26 kilos. And I'm looking at the photo here, um, which which we might flash on the screen. You were thin. Yeah. Well, I, I got smaller than that one. Um, oh, wow. You got smaller than that. You know, and to see those photos at first, you know, when I wasn't fully recovered, I would look at that and go, I don't look that skinny. What are yeah, you talking about? Wow. But it wasn't until I got healthy. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, you know, and there was a photo of my dad on my dad's phone and it was um, this person in hospital. And I was like, oh, my God, is that granddad? He's like, no, that was you when you went to hospital. And I was like, oh, my God, I look like wow. a 90-year-old person. I just didn't even look like myself anymore. And, I, you know, I, I was so – it ruined so many relationships with my friends um, that took – some time to mend and some of them have never been the same again right and it's i realized at what point when you were 26 kilos how old were you here 16. or around so around 16. 16 and how long did it continue to spiral for to at what age did you know you start to get a grip and pull things back and let's explore what what, what created that so what what made so i had to go to hospital and what made that change was I just looked around at my brother and sister and my family and I realized I was just making them suffer and I was turning into the person, like someone that I, I hate liars, I hate manipulative people, I hate, and I was just, I was turning to that, I was that person, it's I was a liar, I was manipulated, I was, yeah. I was that person, I was making all of my friends suffer, I was making all my family suffer and I was like, this is not fair, I'm not being fair on these people, like, and I remember like my mum would take me down to the river in the car and I would scream and scream and scream because I was in so much pain I I couldn't help what I was doing but I was I was just so I was just so controlled you know and and then my mum she had to go and she was meant to my my pop or my mum's dad was I just recovered from cancer and they were meant to go on a family holiday and my mum's like I can't go I can't leave you and I said mum I will only go to hospital if you go and look after your after your dad. If you go on that holiday, because I felt like I'm this, I'm I'm ruining this for you. I can't do this, so I will go to hospital. And um, so they, you know, a day or two later, I was put into the hospital, and uh, mum went away to, with her um, pop because she knew that I was going to be in good care. Um, and uh, literally the day after I was in hospital, I fell into. Uh, a bit of a coma because it was the first time that sometimes when they when you refeed someone that hasn't eaten for a long time um you go like hyperglycemic right. hyperglycemic and so that's what happened to me i remember trying to get up the next day and i just remember just how long had you eaten for at this point well i used to eat like you can't really see but like maybe like the tiniest square of some like banana bread and like this much milk and that was like my meal for the morning <laughs> and then I'd eat like a little bit of apple in the day and then at dinner I would have like a tiny bit of I would like ration with my mum about what I could eat for dinner but I would be I would have walked for eight hours or so that day and I, I remember there was a point where I just I was just shuffling like my walk would t- just turn into a shuffle and I, I couldn't walk up the stairs anymore because my room was upstairs I couldn't walk up the stairs, so I had to move into the office. So I was near mum and dad downstairs. Wow. Um, 
I remember once trying to jump for the line to hang the washing up because I used to do all the housework. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I've ever done all the housework. And I just couldn't reach up anymore. And that's when I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? So, yeah. Was this the point when you were in hospital and all of this is going on, that collectively you were just like, okay, this isn't fucking working. Something's got to change. Yeah. Or was there a moment where, when you, was it when your mum went on holiday? Was, it, was there was, a moment where you were just like, okay, Something's got to change, and it's got to change now. That was the, the like when I when I saw that my mum was so distraught. She's like, "I can't leave you." I was like, "Right, no, you have to go and look up. You have to go." You saw with the your pain. Da- I was like, "Who? What? Who am I? Like, what are you? Like, you are that you turn into the person to someone that you've the, every every quality that you do not like in someone. That's who you are. That's who I've turned into. Wow. And so, yeah, going to hospital, and that was a kind of like the first breakthrough of going into hospital and, and, you know, making that first change. And then the second breakthrough was being in hospital actually and looking at all the girls around me suffering. And I thought, I'm the only one that's strong enough to suffer, not these girls. How, how oh my God, I have to help them. What do I have to do to help them? And because wow. I, you know, there's, there's girls that have been in there for like seven, eight years. They've been in this, in and out of hospital for that long. And I thought, one, I hate people telling me what to do. So that was like, when they told me I had to eat something, I was like, what or like go to bed or you know I was I was isolated and I was like oh this is not a way to live and I was like this is this is I can't live like this and it was just such this battle because it was like my true self was like I can't live like this and then the anorexia which I called fed fucking eating disorder sorry <laughs> was like you know trying to keep me in there so it was like this in- internal battle like with I have to do something I've got to get out of here I've got to help these girls to no you can't eat that you're going to get fat and so it was like oh crazy um, but eventually I you know put on enough weight to and I made enough progress to go and be an outpatient and my sister would drive me from Roseville to um Oh, where is it? It was like out west. It's like an hour every morning before school. So like my whole family was involved in in helping me recover. recover. Yeah. And um, I finally became an outpatient, but I was quite naughty. I I faked my weight to get out of there because I just was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so you drank water? I drank so much water sometimes. I would drink <laughs> way too much water and my weight would go up too much. And I was like, no, I've got to pee this next week. Damn it. <laughs> I was like, oh. Um and put weights in my underwear. Wow. <laughs> oh my god, I just hated being in there. All the tricks, but um, and I guess you know, I just hated being there. But it was anorexia and depression, or any kind of mental illness, is not. It's not physical. It's mental, and anorexia is just a result of the mental work that's being done in your mind. And I, it took me a long time to get out of really of changing my mindset. It took many years. It wasn't till I remember like even being 24 that I really felt a lot of a lot more freedom in my mind. You How know, old the, are you the, now, if you don't mind me asking? I just turned 30 in January. Why do you look so distraught? <laughs> I'm like, I'm still young, I'm still you're young. S- <laughs> trust me, you're still young. And if you say anything otherwise, you're not getting here. Um, okay, so what I find interesting though is like you were, so this is almost 10 years later, eight years later, you started to feel like you're getting it, like you're, you're getting your headspace back, you're getting your freedom back. But I can only imagine there was an enormous amount of mental work that was done during that period. What were some of the greatest things that you discovered about yourself whether it be in the form of routines 
or the work that had to be done in order to get yourself to that point where you're starting to go, well, hang on, I'm starting to feel like I've got a little bit of freedom back in my life now. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, the the not good enough uh, limitation was one that stuck around for a very long time. Right. Or not enough in any way that, that I could put that... My- the originator of that thought was the bullying in primary school? Yeah, but I remember even in gymnastics, like I would win titles. My coach at the time, I guess some of the things that she would say to me came out later on. Like yeah, as right. a child, I'd be like, whatever. What are you saying that to me for? And then later on when I'm an adult and I'm and I'm going through all these like trauma, traumatic experiences, you know, those things came up, you know. So, I would, you know, she would say to me, oh, you're never going to be like this or... Um, when you're when you get older, you're going to get really fat or like you know all this stuff. Because oh, I had really wow. bad nutrition when I was younger. I didn't eat any. I hated like all you know. I wasn't I didn't have a healthy diet. I, you're a kid. I was a kid, you yeah. know. And uh, at the time when she would say this stuff to me, I'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then obviously like, when I got in. older, yeah, it's safe. It, and I could. The great thing is I could reflect on that. And I saw a lot of psychiatrists and um, psycholo- uh, psychologists. You've done a lot of work, haven't you? Yeah, I had to, you know, to to move forward um but even um you know working with um you know strength training funnily enough strength training like lifting Mm. not just weight training strength training training had a really amazing impact on my life in terms of going hold on it's not about the way I look because it was for a long time it was still about the way I looked and it was it was never good enough no matter what I did, it was never good. I would win shows, not good enough. I would, I would, I would just, you know, and that's to me is failure. To not be able to see or appreciate your own success is, is failure in any, in every way. And I felt like I have to, cha- I have to change this again. It was like I'm still, I'm still bullying myself in some way. I have to change this. And so, um, the strength training made me realize, hey, it's not about the way I look. It's how I perform. Mm. And I found this like, felt this like overwhelming feeling of just power and success and it was like all I have to do is be better than I was last week or that's all I have to do I just have to show up and I have to work that little bit harder and I started to you know use things like be the hardest work just be the all you have to do is be the, the hardest, hardest work, work in the room. the room all you have to do is be the hardest work in the room and Damn, I, and I could show up we can't train together then mate oh mate <laughs> mate holy shit I got a little bit scared there. I'm excited I'm not sure no, okay excited okay um and I could you I would use that I would really use that and it would be like be the hardest work in the room in in any room that I was in, whether it was training, you know, interviews, um, you know, even being present at a party and, and uh, meeting everyone and, you know, working the room and, you know, having fun and, and uh, connecting with people. And Are you extrovert, introvert, ambivert? I feel like. Okay, so I feel like sometimes I'm an introvert and sometimes I'm an extrovert. Okay, so you're possibly ambivert. Uh, ambivert, there yeah. you go. I didn't know what that I was like, oh, I'm going to stick with the first two. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I swing between the two. And I get it. I totally get it. For a long time, I didn't want to, I didn't like being on my own unless I was, you know, sick. Um, and then now I, I really enjoy being on my own. I, I feel a sense of calmness do being on my own. Do you meditate? I do. So the rituals that I really, I, I love and I stick to and I really started to explore and 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 go very deep with particularly last year which is very fresh was journaling mm. um 
I, I'd meditated for a long time, but the journaling has been a real um, game changer for me. I call it my anchor. It's my anchor to my vision. It's the anchor to my purpose. It's a, the anchor to my reflection. It, it declutters my mind. It helps me pull myself back to the process when I've gotten a little bit lost or distracted and, um, uh, you know, and, and it helps with gratitude and, you know, I think the like distraction is a big thing or feeling lost you know it, it happens to all of us even when we feel like we're on the right path things can happen in life and yeah I, I just like to anchor myself back to hey what did I said I'm say I'm going to do here and uh you know I want to be the greatest all time in in the area that I'm in I'm you know a fitness model and it's a big game and I love I love it being a big game but I really want to be you know at the top in not Are you seeing your vision now being more than just – because you say, I'm just a fitness model, but I'm like, oh, my God, you're so much more. Well, well that's why – Yeah. I, okay, so it's I'm like, I'm not just – I'm the fitness model is the hobby. Yeah. I want to uh, – I mean, I just want to improve the world. I want to help the world. I want to – I want people to feel love, unconditional love for themselves, for the environment, for their family, for their friends. You know, the relationship they have with ourselves sets the tone for every relationship that we have. And so how are we treating ourselves? How are we speaking to ourselves? You know, you know I, I realize I could reflect back on times when I've bullied myself and times where I've sent myself love, unconditional love to all parts of my body, even the ones I want to change, even the ones I want to improve on, my mindset. Um, and that's really helped me to go, okay, so what, what needs to be done? What do I need to do to, to take myself to another level? I guess that's a question I ask myself a lot. You said earlier that you were in a lot of pain in the in the earlier stages when you were going through and you were dealing with a lot of conditions. And you said one of the things that really helped you was strength training. And it's interesting because I was talking to someone who was in here before you who was a um, uh, ultra endurance athlete. You know, she's run 70, she's basically run around the world three times. She's run through the Sahara Desert. She's done the most grueling things that she's ever, but she also suffers from depression. Oh, wow. And she said that the most cathartic thing that she could do was to run because the pain that she experienced when she ran actually gave her total perspective in her emotional and mental and it made it easier to deal with her pain in in real life so i'm curious if if there's some kind of a cathartic relationship between the fact that you kind of bounced from one end of you know on the anorexia side now you're on the Mm -hmm. fitness model side so Mm -hmm. there is a bit of a spectrum there and but i'm curious to know if there's been a a level of understanding around okay the I'm in a little bit of pain. I'm a, I'm a little bit wounded, but mm. the more physical pain I put myself through, the easier it is to deal with the mental pain. Is there any conscious relationship there? Reflecting back on my life, I've always found safety in training. So mm. when I was you know, bullied at school, I'd go to gymnastics and I'd have safety there. Safety with friends, safety with community, safety with performance. And just, it was all, it was about me. It was like, I have to do this. How do I become better? How do I perfect this? You know, it was but like- you were a hard trainer. Hard trainer. So there was a level of- I like this because it's a bit painful. I like it because it's a challenge. Okay. And it's like how it's it, it all about it's all about self progression. How do I take myself to the next level? That's and you know the strength training was it made me appreciate the body, my body. Like I think the body and the mind is the most amazing machines we could ever control or or use and I've been 26 kilos and nearly dying to lifting 145 kilos on my back, strong, powerful. Like I call myself like a lion. Like that's my that's my spirit animal. I, I'm like I'm I like a lioness. You, you came you know? in with the clothes. And yeah. um, you know, I've been on the. I've done my body's done two things that have been on the complete end of the spectrum. Um, 
and it just made me go, wow, my body, I am so grateful for you. I'm so thankful. Look what I can do. I've got legs. I've got arms. They're strong. I'm mobile. I'm healthy. I'm powerful. I can train my body to do anything. If I want to be flexible, I could train myself to do it. I can, t- I can, you know, and it made me just have this amazing appreciation for myself and and my my body and and that's where I started to become really playful with myself it it opened myself up to to exploring hey what is possible here what can I do what can my what can my mind make my body do what can my body make my mind do and that was a really big breakthrough um and that's that's always stuck with me you know, and competing is just another way for me to go, okay, how are we going to push limits again in the safest and healthiest way? Because competing is obsessive and I understand that. Absolutely. And some people say, well, you were obsessed with, you know, the anorexia and that kind of stuff and aren't you just doing the same thing? I'm like, to me, it's different because the the co- competitive side is all love. I love doing this and I nurture my body. I give it rest when it needs it. I feed it as many calories as I can to get the job done and I – you know, when I go to train, it's not punishment. It's it's complete pleasure. It's all right, what are we going to do today? How are we going to push ourselves? How's the body feeling? Where's the mind at? And it's all about exploring the limitation of where I'm at and how I can push the boundaries. And that's, to me, that's like, that's excitement. That's love. That's, you know, it's, it's like, how do I keep being the greatest version of myself here? You're a pretty incredible woman. So, uh, one of my uh, old clients said to me, Kevin, stop punishing the body you hate and start creating the body that you love. And it sounds like you've crossed that kind of precipice you really are in a state of you're doing this for love because some people would say and i don't know if you know much about my history i was a competitive bodybuilder from 91 until yeah you were look at you i was back in the day i was a bit of a beast but at the same time i remember being um you know 104 kilos 105 kilos post competition uh very lean very fit very large and looking in the mirror and going i'm still not big enough like Mm. i honestly look back and I was like man I had a little bit I'm pretty sure I was body dysmorphic mm. do you ever get the sense that 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 you need to still be careful with that like because on one end of the spectrum you're like you know I'm not good enough and you know you starve yourself to the point of you know being very unwell but now you're you're fit you've got all the curves you look amazing but do you ever sometimes go I need to manage this at the same time I am now in a place of love I'm doing this because I am creating from a space of love but do you ever still have to check in and go I've still got to be careful because I've still got that that potential to express in unhealthy ways. When I first started competing, it wasn't love. There was a, still a a, a level myself. of punishment, but and particularly after the show, I didn't because I did it all on my own. I didn't know what to expect, and I and I didn't have anyone to talk to or or help uh, to get help with. Um, it wasn't to a point where I was like, oh, I. I can't keep doing it this way anymore. I can't keep restrict. I was, you know, I was restricting myself on so many things. Still, I was, you know, doing the very old school bodybuilding way of getting into shape. And I was like, this is causing more eaters. Like I was, I found that I was still, you know, had certain issues with certain foods. And I was like, oh, this is not, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it another way. And, you know, I remember employing a, a coach, um, Lane Norton, um, who really popularized uh, flexible dieting, and I wanted to learn that way because I wanted to. I knew if I'm going to do, if I was going to do this in the long run, I wanted to do it with pleasure, and I wanted to do it the healthiest way, and I wanted to learn a different method that I could use, whether I was competing or in my off season. And uh, he taught me how to do, you know, flexible dieting or tracking my macros, and that really was a game changer for me. Um, you know, being able to eat all different foods 
and seeing food as neutral, you know, teaching myself, hey, this is just food. It's just neutral. This is just fuel. I can have a little bit of this and if I can have a little of that and, you know, there's, there was no limitation there. And that, again, that also played a really big role in my self-development, you know, particularly with the relationship with my body and food. Um, I promised myself I would no, never restrict myself from any food group. That was, wow. I, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. It doesn't make me healthy. Um, and, you know, it's all trial and error. You know, the more I competed, the better I got at the process, the better, I, the more time I allowed myself to get ready. Tra- uh, training methods changed. I started strength training. So there was, pu- there was a lot of, you know, enjoyment to the training. I was, you know, pushing myself. Um, I was becoming one of the strongest fitness models, um, you know, that was up and coming and, you know, started, you know, employing like powerlifting style, you know, training with um, bodybuilding and circuit work and, um, yeah, using the flexible dieting method allowed me to have a way more enjoyable experience with prepping. And then even after the show, you know, that was probably the hardest one to deal with. I don't think anyone can prepare girls or or guys for the post uh, comp blues. And that was something I had to teach myself to deal with as well. And I feel like I've gotten better and better at that each year. And after a show, I actually don't want to reverse diet. I just want to eat healthy. I just want to go and just when my body's hungry, it's hungry. You know, when I'm, when I'm full, I'm full. You know, I just wanted to go back into normal life and make sure that I had a healthy outlook on myself and training in or out of a show, you know, because uh, my experience with a lot of girls and even the past was they only um, value themselves in a competition prep when they're dieting. Mm. But that's such a small part of the window in your year. How can that only be your happiness? You have to be ha- like we build foundations. We build foundations for life. You know, we're not just getting ready for one day. It's how do I have a happy and healthy physique and and relationship with myself and food 365 days a year, every year. I've got to be honest with you. I didn't expect you to be as, and I'm pleased, I hope you don't take this as in in, in any offense, as conscious as what you are. Like you seem to have done a lot of work, a lot of, of (laughs) but that's what's required, right? And I think, you know, sometimes people look at the end product and they go, oh, what button did you push to get there? Mm. And it's like, well, it ain't a button. There's like a hundred buttons in sequence that I was pressing 50 times a day, Mm. in some cases for 10 to 15 years. It's really clear and evident to me. You've done an enormous amount of work on yourself and you should be really proud of where you are right now because your mindset is actually quite unique and it's not something I see every day. And I get to speak to a lot of very unstoppable people. But in order to make this a practical from your development perspective, you mentioned a couple of rituals that you do, but I get the feeling that you're a you're someone who loves rituals. Like you, You're healthier with rituals in your life. What are the top one, two, three, five rituals that you have that you're like, these are my non-negotiables? But it sounds like that you've got a lot more flexibility in your life now than you've ever had. But these are the things that I prefer to do on a regular basis that keep me healthy. You mentioned meditation was one of them. The essentials. Yeah. Uh, meditation and journaling. Yeah. Um, and you do that daily. Daily. Um, training, I find, is definitely in my rituals. Yeah. Um, how, often you, how, how often, how long are you training? Every day or every week? It, it varies anywhere between five to six times a week. Yep. Um, you know, there was a period over Christmas where I actually took four weeks off from training, um, and then I and then I started with three days, four days, five days, and got back into it. Um, but generally, it's yeah, five to six days a week, and then even you know, it's funny. Uh, I think playfulness should be put into people's rituals. What I, does that look like for you? 
you know, putting music on and just having a bit of a dance sometimes, being playful. I bought, I buy little cat ears and I put them on sometimes and I do work just to remind myself that I don't have to be so serious, you know, sometimes, you know, playfulness brings out. you have a tendency out. to be quite serious? Yeah, I can go really, Super I mean, serious. I can see I'm that. quite extreme, like I've been extreme, <laughs> like I can be extreme and, and uh, like when I'm focused in a prep, I am yeah. like, a laser. like this and I mean, it gets me so far, but what, what do you miss out on? Well, I'm very big on the soul and, and the spirit and sometimes the soul can be, you know, pushed in the back a little bit. So you know, something that I did last year in my prep was every morning I'd put some music on and I'd do a little dance where I'd go to training, you know, just to kind of set the tone for the day. And and um, I feel like, you know, recently I've been reflecting. I was like, oh, I've been that playful lately. And I feel it because I'll be like, oh, something doesn't feel like I feel quite like, oh, like twitchy, like oh, what's happening here? And it was like, oh, I haven't been playful. Um, and that even just spending time with friends, you know, making time, like not just on the weekends, like go and hang out with a friend during the week and, and not talk about work. Like talk about something that's, you know, life or something that's really fun. And and I think that should be really, I really feel like that should be, people should think about that a little bit more rather than just get up, train, go to work, go to bed, you know, or sit, sit on Instagram. Like that's... It's, and I can't emphasize the importance of that enough. This year, I'm doing exactly the same this year because the last two years, I've been work, sun, work, work, sun, training. That's it. And then I wake up at the end of last year, I was like, fuck, I've got no life. Mm. I want to be a little bit more playful. playful. Yeah, yeah. I totally get it. Um, you're clearly at an elite level as a performer, um, obviously not just in the gym, but out of the gym as well. You're obsessive in your nature, which gives you the ability to do things that most people can't. But one of the challenges that I often ask people about is – how do people who perform at a high level manage other areas of their life? And one of the biggest ones in sport and in business is relationships. Mm. So how do you go managing being such a high performer, having such high standards? How do you manage the relationship game when it comes to being, you know, at the level that you are? I think that's one that I've been working on for a long time. Um, and it was something that I've spoken to um, my my ex about recently is – you know, he, he brought up, you know, I, I don't think many people understand what's what the impact is on, you know, being an elite athlete has on the other person or the relationship. Mm. And, you know, I was really lucky that he wasn't an elite athlete. And so he saw me being in space and, and being at the top and he supported what I did. I was very lucky. But he also said, you know, there was, a, you know, it half the year, not. I don't, especially if I competed twice in the year, he's like, where was where's my time you know to be, truly be there and you know I reflect back on it now I think oh my god and this year I don't want it to be like that you know um, if I do end up being in a relationship I I really am conscious hey how can I do things better I'm always like how can I do things better whether it's improving systems for work or my even you know rituals and my space you know recently I've said okay no I'm not doing any inst- I'm not being on Instagram before midday I'm the morning is myself I wake up and keep my phone on airplane mode I do my my rituals my journaling a study training cool once that's done I'm I'm open to the world I have you know I can have six hours of the day for the world for work and to be there for the girls and you know I think that's important um and you know even to be there and sit in a space with a friend or your, your partner is really important and it is you know as I said being an athlete is obsessive and I think 
something to be aware of is well how does that affect my partner how does it affect my kids i don't have kids but I don't that's think something i want to be athlete thing it's a high performance thing and this mm. is whether your obsession even is, a high a good a worker exactly you know, whether your obsession is business whether your obsession is sport whether your obsession is you know painting or modeling when you're at that level there mm. is a level of sacrifice that is often created to get mm. there and it takes a unique um, partnership in order mm. to in order for that to work. That's mm. what I've discovered, and I haven't fucking found it either. But what I've discovered by speaking to lots of people, it's not an easy equation to get right. No. Something that uh, my partner and I used to do was go on. We'd call it love walks. Let's go on a love walk. Yeah, nice. And we wouldn't bring our phone. We'd go, you know, walk like together. <laughs> and it was in the morning, so we both journaled. We both wanted to hold that space for ourselves in the morning, and uh, yeah, go for a little love walk and get a coffee and you know, not talk about work because, you know, we also work together. And so it was like, well, a part of me was like, I don't want to lose my boyfriend. I want to have, you know, a space where we work. That's where we talk about work space that we have our connection, love and connection and a space where I'm training. Um, and I, I was lucky that he very, was very supportive in me being an athlete because, and he said to me, you know, the other day we still speak a lot. And he said, um, you know, whatever you do, don't retire early. He's like, you have so much ahead of you. Whatever you do, don't retire early. Don't do what I did. And I mean, I I, I love competing. I, I say I want to do. I want five ti- five world titles. So <laughs> however long that takes me to get, um, you know, that's a that's a you know, I'd rather shoot really high than shoot yeah. down low and you know, see what's available. Um, you know, I'd rather push the envelope for as long as I can in the healthiest way possible, but yeah. not at the and also yeah, not at the expense of losing life because mm. you know my friends also don't get to see me very often mm. you know um last year i was away overseas in in mexico with living with some friends but i realized i isolated myself a lot from even connecting with my friends when i'd come back to sydney or even connecting with my friends talking you know over um you know through the internet or through phone calls and and i realized i, I can't keep doing that it's not fair you know it's not fair for my friends and uh so the but idea also, of balance changes d- well that's what i was going to say do you also think it's not fair for you because, you know, do you ever have that fear that you're going to wake up 10 years from now being 40 with your five world titles, look around and go, <laughs> holy shit, yes, I've got, I've got a beautiful trophy cabinet. Yeah. But, yeah, where are the close friends? Where are the close relationships? Yeah. Where are those things that I know I sacrifice consciously that I now go, you know, I can't bring my trophy to bed and hug it in the evening? No. Do you ever think about it? Yeah, I definitely, I think about it all the time. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, that's why I always think, how can I do things better? Yeah. And my idea of balance changes a lot over the, over the years. And, um, you know, I right now I think, okay, there's a time to be really playful and there's a time to be focused and serious. And the partying and all that stuff comes once I've hit my goal, you know, um, because to be able to train at the level of training that I need to get in ready for the show, I can't go out and have late nights. It just makes things so much harder. It's not fair in my body, but I still shouldn't isolate myself from friends and doing things in the day. Um, but that's why, you know, for me, November, December, January, you know, the three months of the year is where I really, I, I, I'm really playful. Uh, you know, I, I drop my training back. Um, you know, I go out and eat with friends. I don't track my nutrition as much as I would normally. Um, so I like to give myself a bit of a break and yeah, it's, it's a fun time for me. I get to hang out with my sister. I remember my, my sister said to me last year, oh my God, Hattie, this is the first summer that I've really been able to have fun with you for like five years. And I wow. thought, and even, even, uh, you know, my ex partner, said, we just had such a nice summer together. And I thought, oh my God, like, is this what I, you know, it I'm was reflection. Mm. It was like, 
okay, so next time this happens, what do I need to do better? And I feel like journaling has been a really great way for me to go, am I being serious, too serious? Am I being playful? What am I sp- – like? You where's know, my balance point? Where's my balance? And even setting up a calendar and going, okay, so where, what space do I have that's free that I'm going to go and do something fun? And so that's also been yeah really good to do that. Parenting, do you ever think about it? Um, so when I was, you know, in my 20s, early 20s, um, I was like, yep, I want to get married and have five ducklings and <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, I was, I was quite like naive when I was – like 18 to 20, I, I didn't really understand the world that much. I kind of lived in like a real bubble of love. Like I still, I mean, I always say that love is the most important thing in the world and I still, oh, I love love. But I was really, I didn't, yeah, really know that much about the world. And, um, you know, then learning about the world and I guess, you know, seeing so many divorces and things like that, I thought, oh, God do I want kids? Like, do I want to like ever go through a divorce? Like what if, you know, I started to look at that, that area and it, it changes. Like sometimes I look at kids, I'm like, Oh, imagine having like a little one of you like running around, like how loving that would be. And then, but then I'm like, Oh, well, then I can't do everything I want to do. And I, I change, I change a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. Still undecided. I'm though. still undecided. Sometimes I'm like, yes, yes, I do. You know? And then, I hear a baby cry and I think, oh, God, could I do that? <laughs> when they're not crying, I'm like, you're so cute. Yeah. And then they cry, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, think of a baby crying as a, it's a 12th rep on a heavy set, you know. It's sometimes difficult, but yeah. at the end it can be quite rewarding. <laughs> <That's a good> <laughs> <laughs> not, that I'm, not that I'm trying to, to, to sway you, but, mm. yeah, because I kind of reached that point when I was – because I didn't have my son until I was uh, my late 30s, but I got to like my mid-30s like, well, it's not happening in this life. Yeah. But then when I did, I was like, oh. Holy smokes. It was one of the most – and I don't know, like I think the world needs more healers and I think the greatest healers are the ones that have been wounded and have had mm-hmm. wounds through their childhood that they've had to work on and develop. Uh, but at the same time, one of the things I'm very grateful for being a parent now is I get to parent my son mm-hmm. in the way that I wanted to be parented as a mm-hmm. child and it's incredibly cathartic. Mm-hmm. Like it's so healing. Like I, there is such a high level of healing that is going on mm-hmm. through the act of parenting. Wow. It's it's just – and I say this to everyone, so I'm not being biased with you here. I think everyone should have a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe some people should give them back. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone should have that opportunity where they get to pass down their, their wisdom and not their wounds, you know? Yeah, I mean – yeah, I, I think, I think you'd be like an incredible mother. Like you're very conscious. That's I think I would have that child would get so much love. Yeah, and just, you got a big heart. I ha- that's yeah. what I say. And I, that's what I, kids need. I'm like I've got a big heart, but big hearts feel a lot of love and they feel a lot of pain too. You're an empath, you know. So, um, but I think yeah, you know what? When I'm once I'm done with competing. I mean, I guess that will be my next step. I'll be ready to... You do you. You do you, boo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you <took it> <laughs> and yeah, just finding, you know, and then I'd probably move away. I'd want to like get out of the city and go on a farm and, you know, get them to learn how to treat animals and the environment well. I really would, I would really want to educate them that there's, you know, more than I'd like them to be in the in the world, in the, in the space, in the environment yeah. with, you know, know around, surrounded by love land. and, and yeah. interact with humans, not not a phone and, you know, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm not a parent. I don't know, you know, I've got to learn my own journey in that, in that part. But I really would like to keep them away from 
technology and and getting them to play with other kids and sticks and stones and yeah so what's next for you what's next for me well you seem like you've got the world at your feet i you know i'm so I have the, a business, a sports sort of project um, where I yeah, coach I've heard about this. women, amazing women from all over the world. And I, God, I feel so grateful. They teach me a lot. And uh, and uh, I'm, I'm honored that I get to go on someone else's journey through self-improvement, you know, and to guide, to help and coach and guide someone, you know, to open up new windows of what life could be with unconditional love for yourself you know what you know that's that's i'm really grateful for that but also to you know take them on whatever journey they want to go on so So the sports model project sounds like it's more than just ladies learning how to become a sports model no that's there's only a few girls that want to get on stage the sports model project is like a metamorphosis it's like a uh you know a cocoon to a butterfly if i if i can really reflect on what i feel you know that what the transformation is like for a lot of women um it's it's more than just training nutrition. In fact, that's the that's the very small slice of the pie. For me, it's how can I improve someone's mindset? How can I show them the light in themselves? We all have a light, you know. Whether you know it or not, you do. You have to explore it, and sometimes you have to go really deep and go through some really dark places to see that. But if you're willing to break down what's behind those walls, you'll see that there's a like a big bloody pot of gold that you can just share with the world and um my mission is to help girls do that you know i love mindset work i if i ever wanted to do seminars it's not about training it's not about tuition it's it's mindset work it's like how can we tap into the greater greater souls of our spirit and and live in that spirit um so this year you know i would like to start to explore doing seminars you know with mindset work and then also improving the system and the coaching of the girls you know how do you know how can i be better you know if we're not growing we're dying so how do i keep growing how do i keep the girls growing how do i keep improving you know um what i give to the girls and then also i've got the world titles coming up um that's in august and so
There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor. Don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. Would love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray.